Welcome to the Pure Grace Podcast, Becoming Love. I am your host, Navy G. In season three, you'll hear me having conversations on different spiritual and holistic topics because I stand for daily self-care as healthcare. I stand for divine feminine empowerment and releasing the outdated patriarchal paradigm. I am passionate about being part of humanity's collective spiritual revolution of awakened sexuality. Who am I? I'm a creatrix. My offerings are divinely inspired transformational programs. If you are or know a woman who desires to be held in a safe spiritual space and assistance in stepping into your divine feminine power and voice, I offer mentorship as a sacred initiation into womanhood. Let's chat. You can schedule a heart-to-heart conversation with me at gratefulheartenergy.com forward slash apply. I'd like to take this moment to thank you. I'm honored by you being here now and listening and investing time in this show. Today's guest is my dear friend and saint, Julia Dorsey Loomis. She inspires me in so many ways and has helped me become the strong spiritual woman I am today. We share about the power of awakened Christianity, alive and inspiring love. I know you will be blessed by our conversation. Today, I have with me my dear friend, Julia Dorsey Loomis, and I would love it if you wanted to share about your name a little bit, because I think it's such a precious story, Um, but she goes by Julia Dorsey, if you talk to her, not Julia. Um, Do you want to share why? (laughs) Sure. Um, It's always been confusing to people, especially in my adult life. I was born into the Reed family. My parents were Reeds. Um, my they named me two names um, to be called by, because my mother's cousin Julia, she was a second cousin once removed or something, but was married to uh, a man named Joseph Dorsey Collins, who was the first surgeon to come to Portsmouth, Virginia, and was my also. <clears throat> was present at my birth. It was a cesarean because there were complications. And it was a difficult delivery that was written up in medical journals in those days. And and uh, mother believes that he saved both of our lives. He also told mother not to have any more children because the chances of her dying are, were pretty great back in the day. I think today that would be better. But so she went around to all my teachers saying, her name is Julia Dorsey. Call her Julia Dorsey. So that's who, you know, you get used to a certain name as your own identity, and that's become mine. And Dorsey, that was the name of the doctor that saved you up. He was Joseph Joseph Dorsey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Joseph Dorsey Collins. But yeah. he and I called him Uncle Joe and Aunt Julia, and um, he was a wonderful, kind man. So I'm very happy grateful to, you know, carry his name. They, he, the two of them did not have children of their biological children. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful way to honor him and gratitude and thank, you know, thanking him just, uh, even though it's a little annoying that people don't really get the Dorsey part, you know, like Julia Dorsey. Uh, I still think that's really beautiful. So thank you for sharing. So today I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about Christianity and, and from your perspective, which I don't know what you would call it, if it's 
like um if there's any label or word that would work i think of it as awakened or mystical or alive um, mm-hmm. mm. yeah um it's interesting i've been reading um and i actually met uh, an australian man um whose name is michael morewood and for 30 years he was a priest in the roman catholic church in australia and um he he said we're going through the greatest transformation um, reformation ever in history in in the church um young people um, are not relating at all to the well in the episcopal church it's liturgical words in the liturgy um that speak of of a god who sent his son to, to die because we we humans were so bad and so i mean one of his books that i'm looking at now is called praying a new story so we start with the story of of what we understand from science right now which itself is ever evolving you know we keep learning more about how the universe came to be but we start with that wonderful story of uh, you know i guess four four billion years ago life on this planet began I, I, i'm really bad with numbers but even you know way before that <laughs> galaxies and stars and all, all kinds of wonderful mm-hmm. um, beings in the cosmos existed. And, and we were formed from the elements of dying stars. And um, it's a different starting place. And, you know, gradually theologians began to say, we shouldn't focus on original sin, but on original blessing. I mean, just the whole wonder of being alive on the planet of, being given the gift of a life, even with its uh, hard times and suffering. I love that. Yeah. And to live on this beautiful, incredible planet that's full of creatures that are so wondrous. And uh, so I'm I'm thankful. I mean, I'd love to, at some point, read a little tiny bit of what Michael Morewood's doing when, you know, when you think the time is right, just. Um, oh, yeah, you can read some. Right. Yeah, this, okay. So this this comes from the book called Praying and Praying a New Story. So how do we put into prayers this different understanding of God who, you know, when I was a child, God was a being out there somewhere in the vast universe. And when you died, you got closer to God. You went up to, to live in another place that was closer to God. And now that's totally transformed. I mean, even in, in my <laughs> brief time on the earth, which, um, for instance, he writes, this is a section, he goes through um, various seasons of the church year, but this one is under Christmas. We believe in an ultimate reality, a reality beyond our words and beyond our images, a reality that grounds and sustains everything that exists. We see this reality at work in the immensity of our universe in the incredible display of life forms on this planet and in the development of consciousness in the human species. All our collected human wisdom is a visible expression of this reality, active for millions of years in human development, active in all places at all times, in individuals and cultures, seeking expression in the betterment of humanity. As Christians, we rejoice in the birth of Jesus. In him, we see the fullness of human possibility to make God visible in our lives. 
In him, we have seen the ultimate reality, God, breath of life, wisdom, come to expression in human form. So I love that image of Jesus, of um, Paul Tillich, it's a Jesus is a window into the nature of God. And so when you see this human being and see his compassion and his courage, his facing the powers that be, you have a glimpse into ultimate reality or God. And Michael Morewood said as he's aging, as he gets older, he is feeling closer and closer to Jesus. But he, he thinks we need to stop using the word Christ and Christian because that's loaded with you know heavy baggage of something that separates us from the rest of humanity and all creaturehood of every kind. Um, and I, I was getting ready to argue with him about that because for me, the Christ, I mean, even Thich Nhat Hanh has written Living Buddha, Living Christ, and is stands for the full expression of humanity in, in every one of us. Yeah. So I love that. The fullness of human possibility, I think is what the quote was mm-hmm. that Jesus or Christ is. And I think that I would agree with you as well as Christ I don't have as much of a issue. I don't, I don't see that either with my new age friends or other young people having, cause it's Christ consciousness is what everyone's into right now. Um, which is amazing. Cause it's like, how do you be like Christ in this fullness of human possibility? Mm-hmm. But I do wonder about the word God mm-hmm. and maybe that word being outdated now. What do you mm-hmm. think? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in the Orthodox Jewish um, tradition of not writing the name of God, and my Jewish friends would write G underline D, because you're speaking the name of the ineffable, the unknowable. I mean, if we think we have, if we think we say God and know what we mean, then it's a far too small God, because anything that our minds can (laughs) grab hold of is too little. You know, instead, it's, I think of God as the reality in which we live and move and have our being, and also who dwells, indwells everything in creation. So yes, the word, um, the word, because it denotes for so many people this earlier idea of a of a being, you know, just another being out there somewhere maybe with a long beard and surely a white man. Right. A male. Yeah. A male being. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I think so now, I mean, when I, if I write my own prayers, I'll either start um, God beyond all names or something like source of our being uh, ground of all life. uh, This ultimate reality, which is not a very intimate way, but you know, what, whatever is really real and truly true that is God. But the word sometimes limits it if we think we know what we mean. Yeah, I've been using uh, infinite unknown. Mm-hmm. Is that one? I mean, I use a couple of different words interchangeably, but I, I do want to communicate with whoever I'm talking to that it's not something we can really fathom. That's kind of the beauty of being human. <laughs> it's like really understanding all of the intricacies of God or the oneness, like is hard for us to understand. So it is hard. 
Yeah. But I think that that word is partly why younger people might be moving away from Christianity Mm -hmm. or church um, is because of the old ideas or like that outdated, I would say outdated ideas Mm -hmm. of God or, or labels words for God. Mm -hmm. I think so. The um, one quotation from a a long ago, St. Irenaeus of Lyon um, is the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And the word glory in Hebrew is, um, is, is like the heft or the weight or the essence of something. So the oomph of God is a human being fully alive. And, you know, I see Jesus as, as the pioneer or the model of a fully alive human being. And others, I mean, there are others that also are so, so fully alive. And then you see, you get clear glimpses of this mystery called God in them. Yeah, I was wondering about that too, because there's a big um, movement, I think, for Mary Magdalene and her her importance in that time frame and in Jesus's life. And, um, you know, there's also like ISIS or other people in history that are kind of, you know, they're usually referred to as like ascended masters, but like fully embodied humans is kind of how they're described. So, yeah, I don't know how that would fit in with, you know, if you would agree with that or like Buddha or certain um, really enlightened or enheartened beings that have come and caused so much inspiration and positivity on our planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think they're all reflecting that mystery. And it's wonderful to see it in all its diversity and richness and all over the globe and in every time and place. Um, it keeps popping up. Yeah, so one of the questions I had to ask you is, you know, what do you see that is beautiful happening in the church today? And is that, would you say it is this um, praying a new story? That's certainly one thing. And then I think we're moving towards a less hierarchical model. And it's interesting, the word hierarchy is the Greek word for priest. So a priestly caste that somehow higher and, you know, many religions organize themselves that way. But I think partly because of the um, in the West, in the Western church, the introduction of women into leadership roles um, is modeling a new way. I mean, our, our bishop is a woman in Southern Virginia, the Episcopal Diocese, and uh, she came to visit Trinity, my home church, this past Sunday on Trinity Sunday, and um, spent a lot of time with the children just, you know, afterwards, just talking with the children, listening to them. Um, and she told a story in her sermon of uh, not being able to sleep one night because of so many difficult things going on in the diocese that she was responsible for solving. And so she got up early and she took a walk and in the dark and suddenly a bird whooshed by her ear and then landed in the tree above her. And she looked up and she said it was a, a barred owl. And she said she saw it as a female and as a figure of wisdom. She'd been praying for wisdom and they just gazed at one another. And she said in that gaze, she even lost a sense of her own, you know, I, thou, or, you know, the duality. It was just this coming together as one. And the message from this wisdom figure 
this owl was, um, you've got it. You don't need to worry anymore. You can handle it. So, yeah, just there's a new modeling. I grew up with a purely patriarchal model in the church. I never thought it would be possible for the for women to be ordained in the Episcopal Church. So I thought, well, maybe I can marry a priest or, <laughs> or teach religion or something. And when it became possible, it was so wonderful for, you know, to with other women to begin to uh, live out a different way of, of being. Yeah. I love that. I want, I definitely, there's a couple of things that you said, but I love that owl medicine message, (laughs) but the, from the nature being, yeah, that's so beautiful. I've been personally evolving and growing in receiving these mystical, magical messages from animals Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's it makes life so um alive. Like it's really <laughs> amazing. So I I think really? that's beautiful that she shared that and an owl is very powerful sign for yeah. wisdom and then you said, you know, not to worry. And that's probably up there in my favorite verses is be anxious about nothing. Everything. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. Mine too. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So that was be anxious. Yeah. So that was, that was, I love that story. And then the other, um, one of the other things that you mentioned, well, it's interesting. So when I was in Portsmouth, one of the times that I dropped out of time and space, kind of what you're saying happened to her was with a bird in mm. the playground at, in old town, um, on court street or mm. near court middle, street. middle street, yeah. middle street. Yeah. It, it, I lost, it was like one of the most vivid times I remember having like an enlightened moment, but it was with this bird and watching this bird. And then it was just, it was just really, it's a hard thing to describe, but yeah, yeah, it it was through the animal, you know, the nature beings. Very much so. And it reminded me of Audrey's encounter with the swan after Greg's death, the single male swan we'd never seen on the Elizabeth river before. And she walked to the end of the pier And there was this swan circling beneath her, looking up at her and then taking flight. And it was very reassuring that Gregory was all right. Uh, Yes. Oh, I believe so much in that. And uh, Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention is when did you, when was this patriarchal veil or contraction kind of expansive or lifted? When were you able to? Because you you have been able to witness this evolution with women in the church. <laughs> yes, all right. Uh, my first <clears throat> my first memory of a woman named Carter Hayward, who became one of the first Episcopal women ordained before it was made legal. I mean, but three bishops got together and ordained a group of eleven women. Mm-hmm. Uh, gosh, I can't remember the year. It was a while ago, but. Carter Hayward was in my class at Randolph-Macon Women's College, and I walked into her room one day, and she was sitting on the bed playing her guitar, singing the times they were changing, nice. and, uh, which was so was prophetic because um, of her following her path. I mean, I knew from the time I was six that I wanted to be a priest, but thought it would never be possible, and I didn't have quite the kind of... Uh, energy needed to to help make the change. I remember the symbol of those women was a clenched fist, and this was just different from who I was. And I'm so grateful, though, to those women who stood up against 
the norm against the powers and said, you know, we have, we are human beings who can fulfill this role uh, in the church as leaders, sacramental and teaching and uh, preaching leaders. So I'm very grateful to those women. And when it became, I mean, I am on the Enneagram of six, which are who are rule abiding people. <laughs> I, you know, I feel most comfortable if I'm within the, the lines that have been prescribed. I mean, I'm changing in that way a little bit too as I get older. But um, when it became possible, we had three young children and it didn't seem possible to go off to seminary. So I waited till the twins went to college. And, and it's been such a tremendous gift to be able to. Um, to do the kinds of things that, that's part of the priestly ministry. Um, I can't imagine my life if I hadn't taken that step. And there was a lot, hold, my parents said, oh, you don't need to do that. You can, our, we're getting old and our friends are getting old. You can be here and be a pastoral figure. But I knew that it was something, you know, that was important. And I would have loved that too. But it seemed that more I was, you know, being invited to do something more deeper or something. Yeah. Besides the stories of you riding your bike with twins in California, like besides some of these things you shared with me, it's hard for me to imagine you not being this really, you know, beautiful being that's able to serve the church in this way and to serve others. And this kind of a bridge for like alive or awakened Christianity. Like it's, that was definitely, I think part of your Dharma or the reason, one of the reasons being here on the planet right now. And it's hard to think of you not in that role for me, mm-hmm. because you've been in that since I've known you. So, Yeah. Well, I was, I was also quite a creature of this, of the status quo. Um, if, you know, this is the tradition that's been handed to me that I needed to accept it, but the inner, um, the inner drive kept pushing at me in dreams and things. And then, when others, you know, stronger, braver sister women uh, took the step and opened up the path, um, then I was able to walk it. But it's part of my own evolution. I was, um, that's just where I was growing up, <laughs> obeying the rules and fitting into the, what was handed down to me. Yeah, well, I think it's beautiful the way that you describe and um, are grateful towards these women for you know, forging the way, forging a new way. So is there any other authors that you would like to share with anyone listening? Because I know that we've talked about several different books that have really touched your heart and I would love to share some with listeners. Yeah, I guess, you know, early on, uh, I was drawn to the to poets um, like Gerard Manley Hopkins, who wrote at the end of the 19th century, he was a he became a Jesuit priest. Um, but his poems are about nature and about inscape. That is the essential quality of a, any created thing. Um, there's a beautiful sonnet that starts when kingfishers catch fire, but it ends with the line: "Christ plays in ten thousand places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his." to the father through the features of, well, he said men's faces, but, you know, that Christ plays everywhere. And, you know, we just have to open our eyes. So, and Hopkins influenced Thomas Merton, who's another one of my favorite people. Um, 
at the beginning of Merton's book called New Seats of Contemplation, he writes about Enscape, which is what, a term that Hopkins coined, I think. And then um, other poets like uh, Mary Oliver, or her, um, just her paying attention to creatures and um, giving voice and I don't know what it was. I, I'm in a poetry group with friends in California, and uh, we read an Oliver poem as she looked forward to her own death, but with great curiosity. And I, I love that stance of curiosity. It's it's really what I feel, not fear or dread or or certainty, but curiosity and a kind of trust that um, whatever underlies this beautiful, wonderful planet has more wonderful things in store beyond imagining. So. I love her curiosity. And then another poet, Denise Levertov, um, who talks about floating in this mystery. And uh, I really identify with floating because floating in the ocean is one of my favorite postures and looking up at the sky and being carried by the movement of the waves. You know, you're carried, you're supported, sustained, carried. You don't know where you are because you're just looking up. But yeah, um, we talked about that because I uh, floated in the ocean. Oh, yeah. No, I floated in the ocean in the morning before we uh, met and hung out. And mm-hmm. I mentioned to you how I love it because it feels like I'm being held by the mother or the father or the universe. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was cool that morning because the ocean spun me in a circle, which usually I don't really go quite in a circle. And that was such a fun feeling. But yeah, I share that floating. And I didn't know that an author spoke about that. But man, it feels so good. It feels so, um, I don't want to say like magical or mystical, but kind of divine. It feels like being in the arms yeah. of the divine. I think when we used to do, when I used to do Centering Prayer with you, you said that once about the space or the meditation time is falling into the arms of the divine. And I just mm-hmm. loved that and have, have held on to that idea when dropping into a meditative state or just sitting and not expecting anything and being curious. I wonder what will happen. Will I just watch my thoughts for 20 minutes or will I fall into the arms of the divine? <laughs> exactly. Well, well put. <laughs> that's, that's a great description of the, that experience. Yeah. Well, because it could go either way or more ways. <laughs> right. Right. And, but other people I've loved, I mean, that have left a mark um, in college. I read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, letters and papers from prison and he wrote about a religionless Christianity. And he wrote about Christ being driven out of the world and onto the cross. That is by being faithful to his own path. The forces, I guess what St. Paul tolerate that. But anyway, it's a different idea from God sending a sacrificial lamb into the world to redeem the sinful world. I don't know. Um, no, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writing about Jesus being edged out of the world and onto the cross because his courage, his commitment to this way of the reign of God. What is it like when love reigns? The powers that be in this world couldn't tolerate that, couldn't stand it. So they had to get rid of it, even though that way that would be liberating life for them. They they couldn't see it yet. And I, that's another writer, John Sanford, who was a Jungian analyst and an Episcopal priest, but writes about sin as being missing the mark, that Greek word hamartia, sin means to miss the mark. And often we miss the mark because of our blindness. We don't see yet. And I think what we call evil forces are often just 
blind. They haven't, their eyes aren't opened yet. I mean, I think God's love, the love of those of the universe embraces them, wanting, inviting them into love. And uh, yeah, it, the way that even just using those words, it takes the, the judgment and the legalism and the dogma uh, out of it. You know, it's like very freeing, very free and expansive. Yeah. Discover your hidden sexual energy and awaken the sacred love codes of your heart to release drama, own your power, and manifest healthy, juicy relationships with divine ease, joy, and overflowing pleasure. Release feelings of being confused, lost, alone, and anxious by connecting with the earth, embracing your intuitive wisdom, nature being signs, and dream messages so you can confidently navigate life's challenges with grace. Awaken your inner spiritual essence to identify and release toxic thoughts and patterns that keep you stuck. When freed, you become a magnet to your goals and success. Overcome inhibitions to embrace your sexual and spiritual nature. Cultivate your creative energy so you can clearly identify your passions and soul's longings to enable your life decisions and avoid wasting time. If this speaks to you and you feel a yes in your body, yes to owning your voice and power, yes to a spiritual journey, yes to embodying the divine feminine, join me in the Awakened Goddess Mentorship Program. Go to gratefulheartenergy.com forward slash apply to schedule a heart-to-heart conversation with me. I look forward to speaking with you soon. And so many, we're gifted now with people like Richard Rohr, who sends out a daily wonderful reflection, has written lots of books that very liberating about the oneness of all things. And he's a Franciscan monk and priest. Oh, and Richard Rohr, R-O-H-R. Um, it's his his organization that he's now very grac- graciously handing over the reins to younger leaders, but uh, it's called the Center for Action and Contemplation in um, Albuquerque, or the headquarters. And uh, it's a very wisdom oriented um enterprise he's he's full of wonderful teachings um and cynthia bourgeau another one of my favorite teachers was on the staff of it's called the it's called the is it called the wisdom school i'm not sure forgotten what what richard Rohr calls it but was on his staff and now he's including more and more bipoc black indigenous people of color uh, on the teaching staff and uh one of those is Barbara Holmes, who's the first cousin of our friend Linda Holmes, who lives in Hampton now, is in Portsmouth and came to the Tuesday mornings. Yeah. So many people, and Thomas Keating, of course, who <clears throat> gathered the threads from Merton and from the 14th century writer, The Cloud of Unknowing. I love that title. And b- introduced Centering Prayer. And Centering Prayer is really only a doorway into that deeper place of contemplative prayer or um, it, but it's a helpful doorway in which you use a sacred word, sacred breath, sacred glance, um, sacred nothingness as an entryway into a place where there's no longer any duality. Yeah. I remember I remember asking Cynthia, um, my another yoga teacher besides the wonderful Neve before <laughs> Neve, Gabriel Gerard, was directing us once during meditation to, with our eyes closed, to direct our gaze toward the third eye. 
And uh, so I asked Cynthia, so I said, when we do centering, do we, where do we want to place that gaze? And she said, there is no I to direct the I. There is no, you know, capital I to direct the EYE um, because that falls away. And I think that's, um, we can't proceed toward that as toward a goal that we say, I'm going to work to this, I'm going to get it. it. We fall into it, as you said a few minutes ago. It's something, it's a gift we fall into when when there is no separation, there is no inner aware, uh, uh, what do you call it, inner gaze. Or, um, there's only the one. Yeah, and after studying yoga and teaching it and doing lots of different types of meditation and uh, connecting the koshas, the layers of being, it's not bliss. It's different. That space is more Zen or more sattvic. It's not a high. It's not like a Mm -hmm. peak experience necessarily, although afterwards it feels like it was, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it's not bliss necessarily. Bliss, I think, is is on the process on the road to get there you feel like oh like you can you can feel or we can feel that bliss before or after but that space is actually a little different um, mm-hmm. because it's very grounded it's mm-hmm. i think of bliss as being <laughs> expansive there somewhere that, yeah. yeah or just you know twinkling in the stars and this is very much grounded for me anyway yeah I'm not sure yeah, well, it's like that in enlightened moments that I've had, it felt more like enheartened and enheartened feels more grounded. Yeah. Enlightened feels kind of floating up, although you do kind of feel a floatishness to it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, would you describe these authors as seekers of God or seekers of truth versus well, like more traditional believers? Because I have a lot of it's hard for me sometimes when I'm explaining to Christian friends who are more in a traditional mindset that I don't really identify as a believer. I identify as a seeker because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm seeking the truth or I'm seeking the oneness or to the heart of the universe or God. Right. And, and so believer feels contracted to me or like it's following someone else's path to God and I'm seeking my own. That's kind of how I think of it. But yeah, I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah, I love the term seeker. And I would say that these writers that I love have a deep humility in which they would say, yes, they're seeking. I mean, the cloud of unknowing, which was the foundational writing in the 14th century, uh, um, speaks of a cloud between us and the mystery. And and also in that prayer, there's a cloud of forgetting. So we try to let go of all the things we that clutter our mind. And we realize we're in a space between the cloud of forgetting and the cloud of unknowing. <clears throat> so there's a humility in them. And, you know, the word believe, um, I have pretty much subst- a substitute now, the word trust, because we, we say the creeds in our church, the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, that start, I believe, or we believe. It's not so much a logical, linear process as I trust. And it is a lot like the floating. That's where I am. It's, it's a deep trust more than my head is full of certain ideas of this is how it is. Uh, because I realize, well, I think Paul was right when he says we see through a mirror dimly but you know then face to face we 
I, I don't think any of us has that perfect clear seeing yet, but but I trust. And I trust that I'm being held as I'm on that journey towards towards perfect seeing, if there is such a thing. <laughs> but yeah. Here. Yeah, that's a beautiful image. And I think it's the the I love I love the 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 fruits of the spirit or the words um like faith and hope and trust. And I feel like these are so um pivotal for being human. If mm-hmm. if you're a seeker or a believer, right? It's like this the essence of those is so crucial to staying, I think, humble and curious too. And um and uh not dualistic either like being in a non-dualistic space which is hard right because most conversations with people it's it's black or white or it's right or wrong or there's this duality to it and stripping away the duality and still holding faith and seeking is you know it's a fascinating mysterious walk you know it's such a fun journey it is truly and i you know i if I use the word God, is um, is delighting in our sense of adventure and curiosity, and and says you don't have to you don't have to understand and get it all in your mind. Just receive this outpouring of love, and then let that love flow from you. It really, for me, it comes down to that. Just and that's Cynthia Bourgeau's image of the Trinity, which seems like such a sterile, archaic doctrine, is of a water wheel in which one there are three buckets um, and one empties out to the other, which receives it, and then it pours out into the other. And that we're invited to become part of that trinity. We're invited into the water wheel to become a bucket receiving and pouring out. That's that's yeah. my religion. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. And I think that was when you shared that, I think that was when I was like, let's record this conversation because I'm sure it will bless others. I think it was when you were sharing that. Um, really. image. Yeah, because it's really beautiful. Well, I think there's only one. I only have one other question. I mean, of course, I'm open to sharing anything, but I have spoken and I've come across, especially during the pandemic, but even now, Christians who are holding this worldview that these are the end times and that things are horrible and they're going to continue to get worse. And it's kind of this doom and gloom and like, what do you expect? Everything's you know, it's the end of time, like revelations kind of thing. Um, and what, 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 how can you help guide me into showing them love? Because in the moment, the last time I had that conversation, it wasn't appropriate for me to get into anything hmm. um, because we were seeing someone at the hospital and it just wasn't the yeah. right time to share yeah. something. But it, next time I see that person or um, come across these types of doom and gloom, especially with the pandemic. There was a lot of, I saw a lot of articles and different things where they're like, of course, this is happening. It's the end of time. But like, I, I am so excited about being alive right now and where mm-hmm. everything is going. And I'm sure you are too. So yeah. What do you, what would you um, suggest I say, or um, how to hold a loving space or ask questions. I just feel like, I guess that worldview would be attached to more of an outdated or, or traditional Christian perspective of like Jesus and sin and like Christ's blood kind of like, I don't know. I don't want to say dead Christianity, but, but it's kind of feels like lifeless. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Help me. <laughs> uh, it's, 
I mean, I think it's not by argument or anything our brains can conjure up that we can share this other vision, but just by, as you said, continue to hold a loving space. Um, I know that there are Christians who think if a certain number of Jews gather in Jerusalem, a certain number of Christian, you know, Jewish, well, maybe it's, I don't know if it's Jews or Christians, but then the end will come, Christ will come again in glory. But of course, that's at the cost of of harming Palestinian people. And I don't, I just, I don't, whoever, I mean, it's the mystery of God is, and certainly seen in a human figure of Jesus, full of love and compassion, doesn't operate that way, as I understand it. But God is always spacious and gracious and inviting and not judging and condemning, always tender with us in our incompleteness and in our blindness and our unknowing. And I think, it. I mean, Cynthia even hinted or said, I can't remember in an interview of her, that it may be that our human species will disappear from the earth, but I don't think that's the end of all time. I mean, that the dinosaurs disappeared, other species disappear, we may. Um, I I believe that the power of love will not leave leave this created order. And, you know, the planet itself is a living creature that will have an end. There will be, I don't know, but I mean, the only thing I feel that I've experienced that I feel sure about is the power of love. That's what transforms us. And that's what we can share with other people. And love, Jesus makes the opposite of love is fear. It's not hate. You know, there's a lot of fear that wants to make us wants us to have certainties. We want to be certain about this or that, and that we're, we want to be certain we're going to be okay, I think. But Jesus keeps saying, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. And, uh, and you know, in, in my father's house, there are many rooms. That, um, there's a generosity and an openness, non-judgmental, always kind, always making room for everyone, wherever they are, on, wherever each of us is in our life journey. Yeah, I think it was the the fear, like that's such a strong anxious and fear vibration that this individual had that I was curious. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt so much um, compassion and love and I didn't even, I wasn't really sure how to share it. It just felt sad to me that their reality was like so doom and gloom. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't know, like, you know, what, 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 how could I serve? How could I be of service in that moment? It felt like just hugging and listening and mm-hmm. smiling and not, you know, not arguing or <laughs> getting into anything. A wonderful response. I mean, there is a lot to um, make us feel sad right now. I think or make me feel sad, the violence and whatever lies behind the violence. Well, I think and- you mentioned that earlier is like the, um, with one of the older authors from back whenever, when it's like God is love and the church wasn't ready to like, I don't remember exactly what you shared, but it was earlier in this conversation. It's like the Christian church wasn't ready for that message. I think there's still humanity still isn't quite ready for this love message. I mean, I am praying for it, but when we have the violence, it's, it's um, showing us that not, you know, the planet isn't quite ready for peace or love yet as something that's predominant. 
in our global society. So, yeah, the love wants to embrace us all and Mm -hmm. without exception. And religions tend to make rules that exclude, you know, we want to draw because the word religion means to bind together again, you know, we want to stay bound together with our tribe, but I think we're being invited beyond tribalism into this realization that this force of love that undergirds everything embraces everyone and is very kind and patient with us as we journey towards being able to um, drop into that love, rest in that love without fear. I mean, while we, I think we need to continue to offer the world what we can in the way of caring for the earth and in the way of befriend. We don't know, you know, when we meet someone on the street, we don't know if they are someone on the verge of doing something hurtful because they have not felt that love holding them. So it's so important with every encounter to give compassion and love. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And, you know, we talk about that in my ladies group a lot is in the pure grace community is, you know, if you can just smile or do one kind thing, like you don't know the ripple effect of love that that is going to, that that's going to spread. And like, that's, I think, um, you know, not announced in our like mission statement, but definitely something that we're all uh, very eager to show love and kindness uh, wherever we go. And that to me is kind of on this um, Christ consciousness, you know, when I, when I think of some Christians or some people's perspective of like, okay, this is like, we want Christ to come back. I feel like Christ, that, that, that energy is back in this Christ consciousness movement. And that makes me excited because people that are not proclaiming Christianity or a religion are embracing this vibration of love. Yes, yes, yes. Right, right. Frederick Buechner writes about that too. And he says, um, Christians, it's a theological dictionary in very colloquial, ordinary day terms, but um, says Christians know whom to thank. He said there are many on the on the path. Well, that's right. He was talking about Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and how that seems to exclude and he said, no, there are many walking this way and, you know, walking in truth. But he said, Christians are those who know whom to thank. That's, I mean, that's that book is very old now, and he'd probably put it a different way. Because I think lots of people are just offering gratitude to the universe. And, yeah, it's exciting. I think you're right. I'm so thankful to be alive now and see what's happening also in your generation and generations to come, that um, there is a quickening and there is a power of, of love and hope. And it's a hope that doesn't depend on outcomes. It's a hope by the very presence that undergirds the creation. Yeah, beautifully put. Yeah, it is. It's a really, it feels very um, inclusive and expansive, the whole Christ consciousness movement. Um, and it's, Uh, You know, I think a lot of people, millennials and younger, don't feel like the need to be part of the church uh, or the religious tribe necessarily, but they are finding, I'm seeing a lot of community, like they value community 
and they mm-hmm. in value, they value embodiment, mm-hmm. like being in the body, whether it's dancing or, or yoga in community or dancing in community or like, you know, so it's, a, it's a really fascinating, you're seeing a lot of this like conscious parties or, you know, like let's be, you know, and it's so much love. It's so much love. Like the first, um, conscious dance, uh, party like party that I went to, which is like you do yoga and then there's a dance with a DJ for two hours. I have never received that many hugs from strangers in my entire life. And this was right before the pandemic. I had so many like heartfelt, great squeezes from strangers. I I was like, there's so much love in this room. And it (laughs) felt so, yeah, it felt so enlivening. I was like, wow. I love yeah. this. Like, and it, you know, mostly younger people. It wasn't, you know, maybe there's some people in their fifties, maybe sixties, but mostly it was mm. millennials <laughs> and before and after, right. That kind of yeah. age range. Oh, that's, that's very encouraging and true. I mean, I see it and I celebrate it. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. It, thanks for letting me share it. Cause it's, it was, it shifted me, you know, and it brings a lot of hope and it brings a lot of, um, you know, curiosity, like what, what will the future hold with this love vibration? Cause they're talking about at those things like be love and love to be and right. Help your neighbor and help the planet and take care of the animals, the nature beings. And it's like, it's the heart of Christ. You know, I feel like that, that it is that vibration. And so, and joy, that was another focus they had is, um, you know, f- dancing that group is specifically like dance so that you feel joy and love. And it, it just oozes out of you, like mm-hmm. fill up your cup so it can overflow to others all day today. Yes. How beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and I see it beaming right from your face on the screen from across Aww. the miles. <laughs> Well, thank Glowing. you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm bringing back that being in that space and it brings me joy just thinking of, of being in that space with the, with that community. So, and there's a lot of communities like that. Now mm-hmm. I pay attention to conscious dance. So like I see them popping up all over the nation in different places around the world. Really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so do you have any um, closing thoughts or was there anything else that you wanted to share that we didn't get to? I think it was a really lovely conversation and we did cover a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, one day, I think I once told you about my walk down into the Grand Canyon, but I, I, I won't tell that now, but anyway, if, <laughs> unless you want me to. Yes, but, I do because I'm really close to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, it, it was one of those moments. And it, but speaking of quote, those moments, um, Another great mystic, Teresa of Avila, said, seek not the consolations of God, but the God of consolations. So don't be looking for or hanging on to those highs, those, those moments when everything is vibrating. I mean, like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration saying, let's let's hold this, let's hold on to this, build three booths. You know, it's don't hold on to that, but but it's seek the one from whom these moments of ecstasy come. I mean, they're nice. They're kind of give you a a little nudge, but that's not the heart of things. But an experience that I had that really grounded me was uh, when I was in my early 30s and uh, we were camping out across country, driving from California back to Virginia. And it was 
early, we took the children out of school early so that we would avoid the crowds in the national parks. And we camped on the north ridge of the Grand Canyon. And it was so cold up there, it was snowing. You know, we had to huddle into, <laughs> I remember taking the children inside our sleeping bags. But <clears throat> the next morning, Robert, who was 12 then, and I decided we were going to hike down into the Grand Canyon from the North Rim. And the two girls decided they would take the mules. And David decided he'd stay in the bar up top and wish us well. But we, um, so Robert and I set out and we hadn't come prepared to hike. We did, we had just tennis shoes, you know, sports shoes, not hiking boots. We did not have water bottles or canteens. We had, we filled a couple of plastic bags with water. And there, when we set out on the trail, there were signs of danger. There were skull and crossbone signs, you know, the danger of slipping on a rock and falling straight down to your death or danger of dehydration. But we decided to do it. And we, as we walked down into the canyon, we were going deeper and deeper into silence, like going back into the foundation of the, of the formation of earth. Uh, and it became more and more still. There was no motor sound, no engine, no anything. Thing, no bird sounds, nothing, just a profound silence. And then all of a sudden it started hailing huge hailstorm stones. And we there was no shelter at all. They were falling right on our heads. And I uh, you know, we we tried, we thought, can we scrunch under this little scrub brush? <laughs> no, we couldn't. <laughs> so I just opened my hands and we received this gift of hail. And and all of a sudden, it seemed like the hail was saying, "What I, I mean, this is from the poem by Gerard Manley Hopkins. Uh, what I do is me, for this I came. And then it ends with Christ plays in 10,000 places. So it was like the, the hail was saying, what I do is me, I am hail. And the little lizards, you know, the only animal life we saw besides our own scurrying across the path and even the rocks that weren't animate and the shrub shrub grass uh, scrub grass they all seem to be saying what I do is me for this I came and so pretty soon Robert and I were just laughing out loud at this spectacle of ourselves you know as human beings and the forces of nature um, but being so glad to be alive and um, and I probably wouldn't have used these same words but that the human creature can, it seems like we as human creatures could give voice to what these other creatures and inanimate things like the rocks were saying. And, and so I just kind of shouted up into the sky, blessed, blessed be God. I probably wouldn't use those very words now, but it was, it was a gratitude um, that all of creation was already expressing, but as humans, I could give, you know, my voice to it. And, so then it was, so what dropped away from me? Because in my early 30s, it was a time of envying people who were doing things that I I thought I might have abilities to do, but I wasn't doing it. I was, or I wasn't sure that I did have the gifts to do certain things. And well, the desire to compete or excel or, you know, distinguish yourself among peers or whatever, all of that fell away. And there was, um, it was a sense of total acceptance of myself just as I was. And of everything, you know, black and white and yellow and brown and gay and straight and transgender, everything, everything was acceptable and celebrated, loved, um, had a voice, 
had a particular voice to offer. It was so liberating. And, you know, I think I never lost that sense from my early 30s on that uh, I didn't have to strive and work and compete and um, but simply celebrate every single creature I meet. I mean, I now when I ride my bike and see the grackles looking for insects in the grass, I think how wonderful that these creatures are still here, that we still have left them some space to, to be, you know, so really that was that was a wonderful moment. Yeah, thank you for sharing that because I think it really speaks to also the early 30s and just human being human and wondering like, oh, did I did I take the path I was supposed to take, yeah. or yes, yes. am I doing what I'm supposed to, or should I be doing what she's doing or what they're doing? Yeah. And it's like I think that's a normal human thing to wonder because usually in our 20s we're making decisions that then kind of set us in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we can't change it. And right. I think that's a common feeling of like, Oh, am I in the right place at the right time doing the right thing? And it's like, there's no right. (laughs) I know. I almost signed up for medical school. I thought I am a little older than most medical students, but you know, I'm interested in that. There's, I mean, there's so many possibilities for our life and so it's whatever path we're on. It's great. It's our path for today. Yeah. And I love that freedom of like, let's just celebrate everything. And I also loved your reminder of life is not about those peak moments. It's about all of the moments. I try to remember that when I'm grieving or, or when I'm in a a deep, sad space, which happens, right. Is that it is the harmony of being human. I'm in Mm -hmm. harmony in my grief or I'm in harmony in my joy or my peak experience. And that, that that's the fun of being a humanoid, right? <laughs> yes. And that reminds me of one, one more thing I'd love to share with you. I might've said this in the swimming pool the other day, but my old model of say entering the day was I was climbing into a Mack truck. Did, did I tell you this? No. <laughs> where I would, I would push the clutch down and engage the gear. And I was going off to where I knew I was going, you know, this is what my path trajectory, but now that's switched. And now I am standing on the side of the road and waiting for the yellow cab to come by. And the yellow cab is being driven by the Holy Trinity, which is a very merry in its dance. You know, it's a dance. I love that that God is not a static thing, but a dynamic energy of love. You know, it's, it's just pouring out and receiving love. And that generates, in fact, the whole energy that keeps the world going. But so, so the Trinity is driving the taxi and invites me just to hop in and go along with a ride with curiosity. You know, let's see what we'll come across today. Without any anxiety, you know, when, it, when you get you know, well, all along the way, whatever you see, that's uh, just welcome it, embrace it, engage with it, and let your love flow into it. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's so much <laughs> more easeful. It's easeful living versus, uh, you know, I've got to drive this truck down this path to get to this destination to, you know, and that's where, Oh, now I'm running late. And then the anxiety comes in and then where did the mystery and the celebration go? (laughs) Exactly. Up the window. (laughs) Right. Yeah. What a beautiful reminder. Well, thank you, Julia Dorsey for being here. So much fun to see you and to hear you. Well, I didn't feel like we get, we got to finish the conversation, right? Cause life was going and I needed to go. So I'm glad that we made this divine appointment to chat. Me too. 
And I look forward to catching up on a couple of years of your podcast. <laughs> oh, I've only been doing it for, uh, I guess, almost a year now, but not quite. Okay. So we don't have too many episodes. No worries. <laughs> I will take walks now instead of, you know, in addition to our daily bike ride. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you. it's not. Yeah, you're welcome. Hopefully it's not too hot there. Here, I can only walk now before like 8 a.m. and yeah. pretty much after 7 p.m. because it's quite toasty. <laughs> it's toasty here too. Yeah, it has to be early. And the people in Yellowstone are evacuating. I'm, my college roommate was getting ready to fly to Yellowstone today and she got word that everything was canceled and they're trying to get people out of there safely. So, yep, yep. live in the moment. <laughs> yes, live in the moment. Yes, the earth is definitely asking for some love, I think. So as much as we can send that love. But yeah, thank you for all of the beautiful <laughs> reminders, celebration of life and the mystical mysteries, being curious really beautiful. You're welcome. And thank you for the opportunity to, to be with you. Yeah, I, I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> it was such fun and an honor to speak with Julia Dorsey Loomis. She is one of the most vibrant seasoned ladies I know. When I finished laying the floors of Sotvik Space, the studio I helped found back in 2013, I remember her skipping with childlike joy across the room. I believe she was 69 at the time. Thank you, Julia Dorsey, for being light in my life and having this deep and life-giving conversation with me. If you want to find out more about me, you can go to my website, nevegrace.com. And you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at everfreespirit. And my Facebook page and YouTube channel is Free Spirit Creatrix. I invite you to create a magical day full of love, celebration, and joy. Bye for now. It looks like our time has come to an end. So until we meet again.